Hello and good morning and welcome to the next episode of what some are calling a podcast. Um, so what's the date today? I don't know why I'm asking you, there's no way you would know, or maybe you would, because maybe if I post this on the same day I record it, it will say in the, in the recording description. Uh, so it's Wednesday, the 26th of June, 2019, uh, and again I'm recording this on a drive to work, so I'm heading towards Buckinghamshire New University, uh, which is where I'm going to spend the day working. Um, in different ways and again like I will have done on I think probably just the last episode shows my memory's pretty poor uh, I'll be on the way into the gym so it's a relatively early start the idea is to do an hour or so in the gym before a full day of other things Um, which includes actually the end of today uh, includes uh, an improv comedy workshop taster session so maybe I won't say too much about that one today in this podcast. All going well. If it all happens and I'm there, then in the next podcast, hopefully recorded, will it be tomorrow morning? Maybe tomorrow or Friday, then I'll say a little bit more about how that went. Um, the interesting thing about these podcast episodes, and I say interesting, using that word in its broadest sense possible, um, is at the time of me just starting to ramble on, uh, on the drive to work, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. Um, so I don't yet know what the topic or topics of this podcast episode will be. Um, but for you guys, oh, he's assumed there's plural. For you folks, um, you will, you know, will be a title. I would have eventually generated a title and some small description. So I'm hoping by the time you listen to this little bit of the ramble, you go, okay, he's going to talk about blah in a minute. At this point of recording, I've no idea what that blah is going to be. Um, so it's been a few days since recording the last episode, which was on the Friday morning, uh, and that one was called Mortality. So if you've not listened to that one, please feel free to do so. Um, and this one, as I say, I don't yet know what it's going to be about. There was there was something that happened yesterday um, that I can only allude to at this point. So I'm sorry if that sounds a little bit annoying, but there's a few reasons why I don't want to say too much about it at this stage. Um, it involved a car journey. Uh, that was about an hour and 20 minutes, I think, maybe, hour or so, um, in one direction and then return. It was with um, Rachel, so we both went. It, you know, as, uh, by the, at the weekend, for example, a few days ago, this was no intention. It wasn't something we planned to do. Uh, but with one thing, other things happened, and Rachel done a few things and made some inquiries, and we went to do something or explore something yesterday. So, again, I'm not going to talk about that because there's different reasons why I don't want to talk about that in more detail just yet. More in due course. Um, so the car journey will be something I'll say more about. That was a different car journey, and uh, that's that one. So that was yesterday, but it's quite an important thing. Um, I'll tell you what I can say about, about I realise now what it can be about. It's, um, so two days ago, on Monday, I, as part of my academic duties because I think I've already said that I am a an academic if I haven't said this before let me say it now I'm an academic I'm a psychologist uh, I, I teach and do some research um, and I'm based at a university in High Wycombe called Buckinghamshire New University in psychology so that that's my background 
that's my current employee. Um, and as part of that, or as rather as part of me being an academic, as part of me being a so-called, I was going to use the word expert, but I would massively hesitate to use that word, and I did hesitate, but as someone with a teaching and research background in positive psychology, I was invited to be an external examiner for a PhD thesis at another university. So the way these things work would be as part of examining somebody's PhD, uh, they would have a viva, which would be an examination where um, you'd have an examiner, usually two examiners, um, and maybe a chair of that uh, meeting, where you're asked to essentially, as a student, defend your thesis. So you'll have submitted a usually fairly hefty tomb, tome, tomb, text, um, which is your account, your report on your research you conducted for your PhD, and then the viva is a chance to kind of explore quiz the student on this and at the very least determine that what's being submitted is their work and importantly get them to kind of address questions and so on. So this took place on Monday. Um, so the university that took place at was the University of East London, UEL, which is regarded as I think actually it is, at least in terms of psychology, it used to be and I assume and possibly believe still is. Uh, the university that has the largest psychology department or division or school or whatever latest incarnation that would be um, in the UK. So perhaps in terms of number of staff and number of students, I think it may well still be the largest in the UK. So it's a big university, again, particularly in terms of psychology. Um, and that contrasts with the university I work at, Buckinghamshire New University, which is a very small university, um, and uh, yeah, in terms of psychology, again, we've got a much, you know, much smaller team. So that's very different. That's that's one very big contrast between the two places. Um, one thing that um, binds us together, as it were, though the similarity is we both offer uh, similar master's courses in positive psychology. In fact, UEL, I think, was the first university to offer such a course in Europe. So it was very much um, pioneering in that way and taking this, this kind of course and setting one up in, in so it was obviously the first in Europe, first in UK, uh, whereas by the time we set up the one at Bucks New University, um, we were the second one. So anyway, that's the reason why I would have been invited. They wanted an external examiner. I was approached um, by the student's supervisor, um, who we'll call Tim, because that's his name. Um, and he invited me to do this. That was meant to happen originally, I think back in December of last year. It got delayed for different reasons and it took place on Monday. And it was, um, I really enjoyed it. I'd like to say, you know, I'm pleased to say I really enjoyed it. So for me, it was my first one, the first time being asked as an external examiner for a PhD. So in the context of academia, it's a, it's a sign of peer esteem that if you're asked to examine someone else's PhD, then you're assumed to be in a position to do that. Um, I think I'm right in saying it's the first Viva, as in proper formal Viva, as opposed to mock Vivas, uh, that I've been to since my own, which was back in 1998. So 21 years ago, last century, was when I did my own Viva for my PhD. So it was nice to be in that position with the external examiner. I was very keen to ensure that we made the experience as positive as reasonably possible. Um, 
So whilst the whole point of these kinds of examinations is that they should be obviously very challenging, um, you're not just going to make it very easy because it is for a PhD, but traditionally these are often set up as being, um, I feel as though, they can make, make the student really sort of squirm for it. For example, it used to be, and it possibly even still is, the norm that you wouldn't give too much away as an examiner, because of course you've read the thesis, you've read it through, you've produced a preliminary report, you've indicated some of the issues that might arise, things you might want to address, things you'd want to talk to the student about. Um, if there were any major concerns regarding the thesis, you would indicate that in your report. And in fact, the way this process worked, and it's probably the same across all the universities, is that the examiners, because there's two examiners, so one is the external, i.e. somebody from outside the university, and the other one is an internal examiner, and both would then read the thesis and at the very least decide is a viva worthwhile? It's quite feasible on occasions that somebody might submit a thesis and if the examiners felt as though, well, there's nothing really that could be addressed or discussed or um, dealt with in a viva that would make it okay. So on, on those grounds, you might say in your report, I don't think we should be having the viva. You know, there's a report here to say, here's what needs to be done before you even have a viva. We both agreed, both, exa both examiners agreed that actually, no, it was very much a substantial piece of work, potentially groundbreaking. And, um, and so on. There were issues with it, so he did have a challenging viva, lasting, I think, a little over two hours, which is fairly normal. Uh, but very pleased to say that uh, the student, she did, um, she did get it. She, we awarded the PhD. Um, it's not straightforward, it's just, there you go, there's your PhD, all done. That's very, very rare. In fact, I'm not, I'm not well, maybe one or two people may have heard of that had something along line, those lines. The majority that pass would have what are called minor corrections, uh, which means you have some corrections, some things you need to address. It could be some typos, some wording here, um, you know, an issue you might want to re rewrite in some way. And they would be described as minor corrections or minor amendments. And normally you'd have a certain period of time as the student to do those amendments and resubmit it to get it hard you know, properly hardbound as opposed to softbound. Um, and so that's one possibility and the student would normally have say up to three months to do that the next step would be you would award it on the approval of what are called major amendments so usually more than just a few typos and a few minor things here and there you might find there's quite a few things throughout the thesis that need to be addressed or one or two maybe elements which you, the examiners think that needs to be rethinked reworked um, clarified something put in there that's not in there that kind of thing um, and then you get to the list names of maybe you, you, you don't award it, you can order an MPhil, which is a kind of lower degree, uh, and so on. So anyway, to cut to the chase, we awarded the PhD on the approval of major amendments. So the student will have up to 12 months to make those changes. Um, she might want to do them sooner than that, which is fine, which would be great. Um, so it was all, so that was great. And early on in the thesis, in the Viva, we were very keen to say, essentially, um, to help reassure and help the person rest at ease a little bit that you know we, we the examiners agreed that we, we, we agreed it's like I can't remember who worded it now because it was my fellow examiner Christian the internal examiner who found a nice way of saying saying this that essentially re reassured to say okay we've looked at this on the basis of the thesis you know, we are hoping we you know, I don't use the word hoping which it's very wonderful to find that wording to sort of say you've got your PhD, but actually saying, be reassured, 
we wouldn't be here if we didn't think this was worthy of the PhD. That's not to say we won't have some challenging questions, there may be some things we want to address. Um, for example, at the very least, this one, there was, there was quite a lot of typos and errors and things which uh, you need to go through the whole thesis, they need to be properly addressed and, and the whole thing proofread. And it emerged that the student really had been a number of issues prior to submission, including what ended up being a very tight deadline. So she acknowledged that. So that's one thing she will need to address. But there were more substantial elements as well in terms of some elements of what's claimed from the data, how much you can generalise from it, uh, the way it's presented, um, in issues we thought maybe we better not being in the thesis or in different parts. So we, we felt in total these things were major amendments and a few recommendations. Um, so that was all that. So it was all, you know, lovely and very positive, and and it led to a great conversation afterwards, where you know we can explore and, and reassure again that whilst there may still be issues with the thesis that need to still be addressed, we felt there absolutely was a contribution from the thesis that the student would have a lot to give. Uh, she's still obviously relatively young because people often get these PhDs in your twenties, um, maybe late twenties. Some people obviously older than that. Um, and I'm starting to ramble now. What's my general point here? Do I have a point? I think my main, one of my main points is I was just, in the context of a diary, I was really quite chuffed and pleased to be asked. Pleased that we did it. I think did a pretty good job um, in terms of the examiners. I think we worked quite well together on it. But it was a positive experience, I think, for all who took part, uh, that she passed. Um, and so on and so forth. Again, the difficult thing with, with the PhD, people often talk about it being like, because uh, you're bringing something into the world, you know, you've written something that didn't, other, didn't previously exist, uh, and then you're putting it out there, and it is a, you know, a, a significant um, indicator of the amount of work that's being done. Uh, but it's also a difficult one because you expect when you come to submit it, some kind of fanfare, some kind of acknowledgement that that marks the end of the, the, the work, you submit the thesis, uh, and the difficulty is that even that doesn't usually, it's not, the end point is usually a bit of a long time coming. So in this case, that the student was submitted a good number of, you know, a couple of months ago maybe, eventually having the viva. Uh, she's been awarded it on approval of um, some amendment and she has up to a year to do that. So again, eventually it's going away, making further work on it. That will eventually be approved by looking through again. There'll be no further viva. And then she'll submit it to the graduate school at the university, and it all gets drawn out. So it's one of these things where it can be a real emotional journey, and one where towards the end it just gets, it just you've got to hammer it out to see it through. So again, no, no mean feat. I know that I couldn't do it again. Um, I really couldn't do another PhD. I know very occasionally people do choose to do more than one PhD. Uh, I think officially in psychology we call those people mental. Um, because I just don't know why you'd want to do that, uh, why the need to do another PhD. And one could even argue why the need to do it in the first place. But I, go, I guess if you are looking to do an academic, have an academic career, it, it is more the case that it's, it's assumed you will have done your, what they might call a research apprenticeship, to show that you um, can take your place in academia alongside others. Anyway, as I slowly eat my way on to the M40, so we're now at quarter to eight in the morning. My intention is to get out early in this so I can get to work by eight at the latest to get to the gym. Uh, it's now quarter to eight and you start to realize that, yeah, you're hitting that rush hour where this little bit of traffic now is very heavy, 
as it gets up towards the M25 and then it'll clear up on the M40. Exciting stuff. So how can I link any of this to health? If I'm calling this PhD, if I'm calling this podcast one that sits in the health context because the label is 49 plus, that's my age, it's this year, well, it's an important part of this year. It's an indicator of where I've reached in my academic career that I've now been asked to be an external examiner. So that's a nice big tick there. It was very positive. It was nice to be part of this this student's, this doctoral researcher's um, journey. And I do think we'll hear more of her. Uh, I'm not giving her a name, only because at the moment I just don't... I'm very aware that I've mentioned her supervisor's name, not used a pseudonym there. And I just don't know what the right etiquette would be. Uh, I'd be very happy to name her, but I guess without her permission, I shouldn't do that. Um... But I do believe, in due course, we may hear more from her. Um, I will at least possibly say, maybe one health thing here, one's very relevant for me, is the topic of the PhD. So the general area was positive psychology, because that's the area in which my interest would largely sit. Um, As I mentioned before, UEL is very well known for its teaching and research in positive psychology, again, having a master's course there. This particular topic was on positive attitudes towards money, and then looking up what was argued to be a cross-cultural comparison between people in the UK and people in India. In fact, that ended up being one of our discussions in the, um, in the Viva, in that to what extent was this really a cross-cultural comparison between East and West, which is where the writing was, was claiming, um, and my fellow examiner rightly points out, saying, well, to what extent is it really a, a comparison between East and West, or is it simply between a popular sample in UK and India? And to what extent does it represent views in China, for example, or Pakistan, or indeed the ideas in the West? Are the UK ideas, uh, perception, attitudes, comparable to that they would be in France or Germany or the United States and so on. So it's that kind of discussion you might have in terms of, you might think it's a little bit of its own arse. Academia has a tendency to have that feel to it. Uh, but at the same time, it's being specific, it's being clear, it's being as, as accurate as possible. Um, but anyway, passive, positive attitudes towards money. Um, and I feel as though, you know, it's very symbolic for that to be... Um, my first thesis to examine, because it did require me to read through in detail and explore and critically assess some of the ideas in there, but even most generally, I think you know, money and health, if we want to label some of the health, as an important link, uh, as part of what the student was arguing in her thesis, is that whilst there has been research over the years on attitudes towards money and ways in which uh, they impact life outcomes, um, well-being, happiness, those kinds of things, Um, there is perhaps a need for some kind of what's often called in positive psychology, an intervention, a programme, a course, or something or other where people might say, if I want to explore and increase or um, maybe even change my attitude towards money in such a way, it will improve my well-being, um, perhaps reduce my stress about money, then that's what she was aiming to do and that's what she, cre- she created. I felt that's really what was the really big, one of the big contributions of the thesis, that she created an online intervention to, um, with an intention to reduce stress and anxiety about money, improve well-being associated with money and so on. 
So I think at the very least, maybe that's one thing I maybe will do uh, in the coming weeks. It was designed to be a week-long um, course, as it were. I think you said it is still available online. Um, so I didn't have a chance to do it. I've got the materials that are in the back of the, the thesis. But it is linking to many ideas within positive psychology, such as gratitude, um, charitable giving, and the extent to which if one is able to engage in these kinds of behaviours uh, and cultivate them, develop them, then it would likely impact your attitudes around money. And I think it just came at a really important time for me. I realise I have, as I, any of us probably do, certain attitudes around money which aren't, um, I'm going to say helpful, maybe that aren't healthy, and they may link to my own beliefs about what I think I can earn, should earn, what I'm allowed to earn, what I allow myself to, what I think I deserve, all those kinds of things. Um, so that's why I think, you know, one really important personal, um, just about personal consequence of having read, read, having read this thesis and acting as examiner, uh, that I do think one big thing over this next year is I want to you know, continue to re-explore my relationship with money to in part improve, you know, increase my income. Lots of different reasons why that, that, why that might be the case. Um, so it's very timely that this, um, this thesis arrived at that time. So hopefully, I won't just put it one side now and forget about it. The actual thesis itself, the, the copy I had, I left with the student because I've quite, I had quite a lot of notes and comments on there, so she might find that helpful over and above any formal report that we give. Um, and hopefully I'll get that back. It's quite nice to keep that one as being the first thesis that I examined. I'm hoping, perhaps, the first of many, because I did enjoy that as a process. It felt very... Um, you know, great to have genuine academic erudite discussion which you might think being as a full-time employed academic you have much of the time I remember a previous employer a vice chancellor at a previous university I worked at who would say isn't it wonderful to be an academic we're paid to think we're paid to have these kinds of conversations discussions and in part that's true but in practice when you find yourself you're doing these kind of things as a job I've often found that a large time, a large proportion of your time, isn't spent on those kinds of conversations. It's often spent on administration, uh, dealing with inquiries, student issues, um, and so on. And whilst this was still in the context of you know, working with a student, when these students are doctoral students, and I'd also say something to them when they're master students, you can, you can you know, really engage in that um, higher level of discussion. So, um, I felt a little bit of a clever clogs, or as Connie might say, a clever clocks. She often decides people have been a clever clocks. I think that comes from that fantastically um, highbrow television show called Peppa Pig. I'm sure there's one character in there that's just referred to as a clever clogs, and Connie's always called that clever clocks. So, on that note, on that bombshell, um, we shall end it there. I've still got a few more minutes to arrive at work, but that feels like a nice way to end it. So perhaps now by the end of this um, episode, we've got a clear idea of what the title could be. Um, and by the time you've got here, you've known that already. That's one difference between you and me. You, the listener, 
is that at the time of me saying these words, I do not know what this episode is going to be called. You've written all the way through it, very aware, knowing what this episode is called. So I hope it was a good title. Anyway, enjoy and see you next time. Or rather, uh, I won't see you, you'll hear me next time. Bye-bye.